0: SC Disaster Corps podcast, the exclusive podcast that is dedicated to the education of South Carolinians and a variety of topics within emergency preparedness, and the only one that strives to apply that knowledge to increase community awareness, resilience, and service. I'm your host, Cameron Matthews, and welcome to Episode 7 of the SC Disaster Corps podcast. Today, we are joined by Andrew Culp, a volunteer fireman who is going to be speaking with us about fires and fire safety. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You want to give a brief introduction of your role as a fire, fireman? Yeah, so basically
1: I'm a volunteer firefighter in two counties here in Anderson County as well as back home in Chester County. Uh, the reason that's for is because I go to Anderson University, so I'm able to serve both areas while being in school and at home. Basically, my role is just essentially a firefighter. Uh, back home, we do a little bit of EMT type stuff as well,
0: but typically we focus on fighting fires. All right. So with that, we'll begin the questions. The first one is, what are the different types of fires, Andrew? Yeah, so there's a a number of
1: different ways we look at this from strictly a firefighter standpoint. We look at residential structure fires. We look at commercial structure fires, car fires, brush fires, things like that. But from a strictly NFPA standpoint, and you'll hear me reference that a lot, NFPA is the National Fire Protection Agency. They set the standards for South Carolina and the nation as far as what all we talk about, our curriculum that we learn in the Fire Academy, those type of things. But basically, they break these down into what's referred to as classes. We have Class A, which is ordinary combustibles, so things such as wood, cloth, paper. Um, then we have Class B, which are flammable liquids and combustible liquids. The difference between flammable and combustible is focusing on the flashpoint. And what I mean by flashpoint is the minimum temperature for a liquid's vapors to ignite the vapors that they put off, at what point do they ignite or self-ignite? Flammable is going to be a flashpoint below 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Combustible is going to be above. So class B fires, they are flammable combustible liquids such as greases, uh, petroleum greases, tars, oil-based paints, solvents, those type things. We have class C fires. Class C is can be energized electrical equipment. That's the focus of it. If it's Not energized, but it's still electrical equipment that can then be another class. Um, Then we have class D fires, which are combustible metals such as magnesium, titanium. These classifiers, magnesium specifically is common with cars when we do car fires because certain engine blocks have magnesium in them. And honestly, dude, that's a show to see because when you put fire on a magnesium or water on a magnesium fire, it's a pretty bright glow and it's it can spark a little bit it's pretty fun to watch but finally we we got class K fires which are cooking um, class K makes up about 50% of house structure fires start. Um, According to the NFPA about 172,000 home structure fires occur each year by uh, class K fires or something to do with cooking um and that's what most of your residential church fires are going to be from in West.
0: okay so
1: what should an individual
0: or family do if a wildfire is approaching their residence and what would a wildfire be classified as so a wildfire
1: typically is going to be it can it can become several different things but it's going to be the rapid transition of fire across a, a large area so they can get bigger like out west they have a lot more problems with that cuz the air's drier it's a lot uh, harsher conditions as far as that goes but as far as what you can do um, I would honestly I would suggest getting out of there as quickly as possible because every possible scenario that you can think of that doesn't even begin to describe how rapid these conditions can change so I would suggest getting out there as quickly as possible but the NFPA does give some general guidelines as what you can do to kind of ready your house Um, with that said do not shelter in place during a any kind of fire, but especially wildfires because the, the weather condition can change drastically and, and all of a sudden you're in a hurry. But um, one of the things is clear leaves, vegetation, and other debris from in or around your home. If you've got leaves in your gutters, that's a bad day as far as if an ember hits that, now your house is on fire quickly. If you've got grass, keep that wet, keep it watered. You want that green. If it's not, it very low you want as little flammable materials as possible keep your trees pruned low to the ground and just remove any flammable combustible liquids metals
0: all that stuff from your yard try to put that somewhere out of direct view of that fire so given that you're supposed to evacuate if you are in a structure as it catches fire what should an individual do so if you find yourself in a
1: structure the best thing to do If the conditions are not terrible yet, um, we can go into that a little bit too, but if conditions aren't terrible, try to find your way out as quickly as possible. Um, The first exit, if you're on the first floor, hit that window. If there's a door you can get out, take that door. But you want to be very careful about how you exit as far as opening doors. These can be very quickly, The the doors heat up. So one thing you can do is take the back of your hand, which is one thing that we do, take the back of your hand, feel from top to bottom, you never want to touch that knob because obviously most of those are they're metal. They're going to transition heat very quickly. So make sure you don't touch that before you test that door. But if conditions are, are worsening rapidly, um, you need to get low, stay low. If you have to, you can crawl, but you want to get out out as quickly as possible. Um, and just in
0: general, use wise decisions. Be smart about it. With mitigating the risk of, like you said, outside for wildfires, what kind of methods can individuals take for their residents to mitigate the risk of a fire occurring at their house? So there's a handful of things we can talk about.
1: Firstly, I want to go over kind of my experiences. We see some of the same things every year. There's a pattern uh, that we've noticed as far as structure fires, things we respond to. One thing that I've seen a lot is each year, as soon as the weather starts getting colder, everybody's turning on their heat. So if you have an older heat system or your heat system has uh, heater coils, dust gets on those, particles in the air, trash, whatever. It's great to have those cleaned every year. A lot of companies, they put on a spring and winter uh, sale to where you can have them come out. They'll clean your air conditioning, service that. Same thing with the heat. So each year, we always respond. It's inevitable. We always respond to a handful of calls where people think their house is on fire. And it smells like it. It really does when you go inside. But essentially, it's just those heater coals burning off the particles that are trapped on those. So definitely keep up with that. Those can turn into legit structure fires. That's a thing, too. So you don't want that. Definitely keep up to date on your smoke detectors. We recommend changing the batteries in those every time we have daylight savings. A great way to just remind yourself to keep up to date with that. Um, Keep an extinguisher in your home. It's good to have multiple if you can. At the very least, keep one in your kitchen that's designed for kitchen fires, so class K fires. And that's one of the big things too, is a lot of times when we respond to something that starts in a kitchen, it's gonna be a grease fire. And that's largely due to somebody's stone water on a grease fire. And basically water, if you don't know, water is just gonna spread that fire. It's gonna rapidly transition all through the house. And then it's gonna be a bad day. And then that's where we come in. So keep up a, a good um, fire extinguisher in your home, at least somewhere in your kitchen. Don't burn anything close to your house. We've responded recently, or not too long back, of uh, reported structure fire, but as soon as we went by the house, we could see smoke behind it, get out and investigate, and it's somebody just burning very close to their house. That's not a good idea because, like we said recently with the wildfires, do you have any kind of embers that fall into gutters that have leaves or garbage or trash? It can set your house on fire quickly in a hurry. So stay away from burning close to your home. Uh, electrical issues are a big thing as well Um, I worked electrical for uh, past two summers if you have an electrical overcurrent you're pulling too much power all the electrical components heat up they can set other things on fire if you have shoddy electrical work done you have loose loose wires things like that keep up to date with that try not to use shoddy workers it's hard to do sometimes especially when you're trying to vent people but use quality workers don't leave any candles, curling irons, straighteners. Don't leave those unattended. I promise, you when I was growing up, we had, my sisters and my uh, mom were always questioning if they left those things on. Don't leave those things on. Double check always before you leave the house. If you think you might have, go back. Make sure you cut it off because those things can heal and continue to burn uh, and set your house on fire. And also one thing that a lot of people don't really realize, if you have potting soil around your house, you have indoor plants, outdoor plants. Some people will put fertilizer in those just to promote growth. Some of those fertilizers are very flammable. So if you have somebody that comes over it's a smoker or you're a smoker and you put that in the fertilizer, that could be a bad day as well. You may not notice it right away, but it can become a problem. And then lastly, be aware of the smoking habits. Like I said, be aware of putting those in trash cans in your home. Because one of the most recent structure fires that I went to Luckily, it it didn't turn into anything, but the way it started was somebody threw a cigarette into a trash can that wasn't properly put out. It began smoking up the residents, and luckily they were able able to evacuate
0: before it got bad. We were able to get there and put it out before anything major started. So with the basically the safety tips for your residents, what are some safety tips for the individual themselves that the audience can rely on? So I'm sure everybody's, to a
1: degree, been a part of fire safety, fire prevention in a school. A lot of the things that we teach there is stuff that we follow as well. We just don't go super in depth with it. So one of the things that I want to talk about is keeping low to the ground. Recently, the NFPA requires each county to have their departments go through what's called annual burn. So what we do is we go to the burn center here in Anderson County and they'll set pallets on fire in a building specifically designed for this. And we just go through the operations, fire ground operations, interior attack, those type things. But I wish everybody could get there and actually be a part of that, but it's obviously it's not possible, but you can definitely feel what we refer to as thermal layering. So once you go in, obviously heat rises and it's very, very apparent if you sit down or stand up in a room that's burning, especially with these wooden pallets that burn so hot, you can go into a room like that, and it's just very apparent that there's layers in the air that are very dense, they're very smoky, but also very heated. The superheated gases that kind of rise up. So the best way for you to stay safe, and we stay safe as well, stay low to the ground. Um, if you're in a structure fire, that's gonna be one of your best bets as well. You don't have the most visibility down there. In addition to that
0: too. Okay, so following all that information, Andrew, if any of our audience is wanting to become a volunteer firefighter, what is that process and what all does that entail for them? So this
1: is a great question. Honestly, I still get many questions like this that surprises me. A lot of people don't fully understand the volunteer fire service and what exactly that means to each county, each community, and honestly the country as a whole. I, I don't want to misquote, but the, the state of Wisconsin, I believe, is Largely operated by volunteer firefighters. Well over 80% of the entire state is covered by volunteer firefighters. So essentially what that looks like, it it depends on your county. It depends on your state as far as what roles you're able to play. But essentially, if you go from no experience, you're going to go to your local fire district. Uh, If you live in a city, typically your cities are not going to be accepting volunteers. Some do depending on the size, but normally those are going to be paid departments. So if you wanted to, to be a paid firefighter, that would be a good way to do it. But uh, go to your local fire district, um, talk to the chief. They'll have a application normally through the county, the local fire headquarters or fire headquarters service, however they classify that. But basically, you go in, you fill out a lot of forms, quite a bit of forms. I hope you have a good pen because it's going to take a while. But you're going to fill out all those. You're going to meet their minimum qualifications for uh, help your knowledge, they're going to look at moral character, those type things. They want good people, reliable, and trustworthy. But you're going, to, you're going to go through that process, and then you're going to start your educational process as well. So essentially what that's going to look like is you'll have some in-house training, basically just to get you ready to respond to a call, and then you're going to go through, depending on your county, you may go through things like NIMS, which is the National Incident Management System. Uh, We require in Chester County uh, all of our members to go through a handful of NIMS courses online just to look at the the FEMA National Management System and how that works and the role it plays in uh, fire ground operations, hazmat operations, things like that. So you will go through those those basic courses and then you can start taking uh, Fire Academy courses. The South Carolina Fire Academy offers a number of courses in Columbia as where our fire headquarters is, but also through mutual aid departments is what we refer to them as. Basically what that is, they're going to each region of the state has a coordinator, a fire coordinator, a region coordinator. They're gonna um, work with local departments to put on classes like the York County Fire Training Center. They put on a ton of classes for the York, Chester, Lancaster County areas. So they're gonna put on classes that are promoted by the South Carolina Fire Academy and that works closely with the NFPA to establish number of procedures and policies, but what we need to know for the they're responding to. So you're going to go through things like hazmat operations, hazmat awareness, um, firefighter one, 1152, auto education, things like that, technical rescue, just to get you that knowledge base to where you can move forward with your fire career. But essentially after that you can start doing more and more stuff, more uh, classes and education you have, as long as it's safely done as long as you know what you're doing and you're working closely with your volunteer fire department. But it's a great way to get involved. It's a great way to serve your community. Um, It's a a wonderful thing to do if you have the time, and I would highly
0: recommend it to just about anybody. All right, Andrew, thank you for all the information that you gave us about fires today. For any listeners who have questions about the SA Disaster Corps, let us know on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at SA Disaster Corps. For those listening on YouTube, leave a comment, like, and subscribe. For our wonderful listeners on various various podcast hosts, as well as anyone who has lengthy questions, feel free to email us at sedisaster4 at gmail.com. Listeners will be able to find both the full podcast episodes and the weekly shout-outs on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Republic, Podcast, Overcast, and the Disaster 4 YouTube channel. For those listening on one of our podcast hosting sites, hit the follow button to stay up-to-date with your podcast, and for those listening on YouTube, please hit the like button and subscribe for more content. Also, hit the bell icon to receive notifications for our new videos. If you want to learn more about the SE Disaster Corps, AmeriCorps, or United Way, please visit unitedwayofanderson.org. And thank you for being with us today at SE Disaster Corps Podcast. We hope to see you Friday for our weekly shout-out. And remember, stay prepared.